Welcome to Women Over 70 Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Blue Lake. Blue Lake is empowering people to take control of their cognitive health by providing them with fun, easy ways to incorporate brain-boosting nutrients into their daily routine. Blue Lake was born out of the belief that nutrition is the best medicine. Led by a team of world-class neuroscientists, their products are rooted in trust, transparency, and quality. Cognitive decline with age is not inevitable, and Blue Lake makes it easy to take action. Shop now at bluelakeminds.com and use promo code WOMEN10 for 10% off your purchase. Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail, and we're pleased to introduce to you Patricia Ann Wallachy, MD, PhD, who earned her MD from the Harvard-MIT Health Science and Technology Program, and her PhD from the Harvard Department of Neuroscience in 1980. She has nearly 40 years of experience working in university medical centers, private practice, and biotechnology companies. From 1984 to 1989, Patricia served under Dr. Robert Katzman, a pioneer in Alzheimer's disease research. In 1989, she started a clinical neurology practice where participation in clinical research sparked a new passion for the development of medications. In 1986, she joined the biotechnology industry and contributed to programs for development of medications for neurologic disorders like Alzheimer's disease and multiple sclerosis as well as autoimmune disorders such as psoriasis and Crohn's disease. Dr. Wallachie has published 40 papers, five book chapters, and holds three patents. She retired in 2017 and moved to Sedona, Arizona, where she has a small wellness coaching practice. The vicissitudes of drug development have led her to believe that widely available and relatively inexpensive interventions such as nutrition and natural supplements are key to real-time, real-world approaches to maintaining and improving health, a path which led her interest in beta-carophylline. She now serves on the Scientific Advisory Board for Blue Lake, where she serves as an expert in beta-carophylline and phosphatidylserine. And both which are found to support memory and brain function. So welcome, Patricia. We're so happy to have you here at Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. And we know you're going to bring a lot of good information to our, our listeners. Thank, thank you, Gail. I appreciate uh, the invitation. And I'm very happy to be here. You're very welcome. So can you expand on your approach to nutrition and natural supplements and, and why you think they're key to maintaining and improving uh, brain health? Well, I, I think I might answer the last part of your question first, which um, I think is a tale of two countries and changes over our lifetimes in those countries. So in the United States, that is the United States and China. So in the United States, there have been studies that looked at the incidence, which is the new cases that occur of dementia over periods of time. 
Uh, one of the best data sources is the Framingham study, which many people may have heard of. That's where so many of the heart studies were done that show bad, high cholesterol is bad for you. So many of the diet changes made for heart came from the Framingham study. They also happen to collect data on dementia. And if you look at the five-year period starting in 1979 versus 2004, um, the incidence, the number of new, the rate of new cases has gone down 40%. And there's a number of reasons people think that might have happened, some to do with education, but the lifestyle changes many people have made in terms of better nutrition, better exercise, also thought to be a big contribution. On the other hand, during that time, China, like when we were kids, my parents would always say, you know, eat your food, there's someone starving in China. And they did, they had problems with malnutrition, um, infectious diseases. Of course, they became much more prosperous and they have epidemics now of obesity and diabetes and dementia. They have a much higher incidence of dementia than they did back when we were children. So if you look at the United States and Europe, where there've been many health-related changes in people's lifestyles, all of those are showing marked decrease in the number of new people dead in dementia. And a lot of the parts of the third world that have become more prosperous now are having a lot more dementia. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so, so what is it that is happening here in the United States with this? Uh, well, you know, there's been quite a few studies um, actually looking at multiple approaches. But first, let's talk about nutrition, since you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. There have been many studies, and there's many opinions you can find, you know, anything from saying being vegan is the best to the keto diet is a good thing to try. But the best quality data, the data that's been done in more formal clinical trials, even competing clinical trials, where they have for several years people eating a regular diet versus people eating the prescribed diet um, really come down to four, four diet types, the Mediterranean, the DASH diet, which is a hypertension diet, the MIND diet, and the Nordic diet more recently. I think the Northern Europeans felt like they were getting left out. Um, you can go into huge amounts of, of um, detail about each of these diets and by many diet books. I think just to make it simple, they all have several things in common. The first is eat more vegetables, particularly green vegetables, starchy things like potatoes don't count. The second is eat less red meat. They all allow poultry, but they particularly encourage substituting fish, nuts, beans, lentils for red meat. Oh, and a serving of red meat is only the size of your fist or a pack of cards. So smaller servings too, even when you get those. The third is much less sugar, no sweets except fruit. The fourth is all your oils should be replaced with olive oil. Um, they eat a lot of olive oil, particularly in the Mediterranean diets. People who live in the Mediterranean countries eat several times as much olive oil as we do, even when we are trying to focus on it. And there was one study done in Spain where they issued like an extra quart each month to people, an extra bottle to use on top of their normal olive oil, and they did even better. So lots of olive oil. 
The fifth one is whole grains instead of processed food. And the sixth one's sort of a combination of things you can't do. No fast food, no deep fried food, no white bread, no fancy desserts. And if you kind of just take those six principles, you get the, the, the high points of, of all those different diets and can maybe incorporate it into your life more easily. Can you explain the Nordic diet? Just, just tell us a little bit about that. You said that's a relatively new newer one. Um, like the others, it's a lot of fish, a lot of seafood. The vegetables are more like cruciferous, like cabbage and Brussels sprouts rather than zucchini and tomatoes. Um, the fruits tend to be very heavy towards berries. Uh, That's kind of things that grow in that area. Hmm. I have a question about, if I may, about you mentioned uh, dementia and how they um, that that it's decreasing quite dramatically in the United States. Um, What about women? Are women more prone to get dementia than men? And what's happening with women? Sure. I'm sorry. So, so dementia, I just thought it's probably good to define a couple of terms. Dementia just means that you have a decrease in mental function from your baseline. And it usually includes memory and at least one other item like language problems or getting lost, or, you know, poor judgment. The most common type of dementia is Alzheimer's disease, which means a specific disorder that has certain changes in the brain that can be seen on PET scans or at autopsy. Women do tend to get Alzheimer's disease more than men, but men tend to get small strokes, head injuries leading to dementia more often than women. So overall, the incidence of dementia is pretty equal in men and women. But if you only look at Alzheimer's, it is higher in women, unfortunately. I don't know offhand, I just, I don't know sex-adjusted incidences. The articles I've seen have pretty much just looked at the population, as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But women tend to be better about taking care of their health than men. That's been recognized for some time. So I'm sure it includes women. It might even be a bit higher percentage of women than men. But I don't know the actual data. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And, and so um, the Blue Lake website, which you're affiliated with, mm-hmm. has um, a blog that's entitled Six Lifestyle Pillars for Memory. And you want to tell us a little bit about that? I'm sure. That was actually designed by our founder, Peter Castleman, I believe uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And the six pillars are nutrition exercise for the body, mental stimulation, or I like to think of it sometimes as exercise for the brain, decreasing stress, getting enough sleep, and socializing or having meaningful relationships with other people. Um, I think those have become much more widespread over the last few years, especially now, even quite a lot of mainstream doctors are focusing on, on those types of approaches. Uh, some European countries are actually starting um, to look at perhaps shifting some of their elder care to include very much those types of, of items. There was a study called Fingers that was done in Finland, finished in about 2018. 
caused a lot of excitement in sort of the medical dementia community. They, most of the studies that have been done on interventions have done one intervention, like diet, or one intervention, exercise. This one, they actually tried a combination approach. So they assigned people to either continued care or to a program where they had a, some additional medical care for high blood pressure, problems that predict dementia. Um, they had a social program for them. They had an exercise program. They had consultations with nutritionists. Uh, and so, the, and they would recommend various mental stimulation activities. And they did this for two years. And then they let five years pass and they evaluated the people at both, I'm sorry, the end of the two years. And then five years later, the people who'd been in the program did much better, significantly better on memory tests. And they also um, had fewer cases of incipient dementia, sometimes called MCI. Um, what excited people especially was there's a lot of things that you can't change that make people more or less at risk for dementia and often affect outcome, like the genetics. Do they have a gene that makes them more likely? Do they come from a lower socioeconomic class? Did they have heart disease already? And all those groups responded to this multi-factorial intervention. And uh, there's a number of other studies like that ongoing now. It obviously takes many years to do them. And uh, some of the European countries are actually already beginning to at least plan on how they might integrate this sort of multifactorial intervention into, into their medical care. Mm -hmm. hmm. And so what about senior communities? Do you think that uh, it would help if senior com com communities were educated to follow these guidelines? Personally, yeah, I think that that makes sense to have that available since it, there's evidence that it does seem to help people. And it certainly, for many people, would make life more interesting and enjoyable, probably. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. One of the, one of the th questions that comes up for me is, is uh, if, if women are, are getting Alzheimer's uh, more frequently than men, have we done enough studies that, that verify that these approaches can make a difference for women? In oh, there's certainly, you know, all of these studies include both men and women and usually have a somewhat higher proportion of women who come in and volunteer. So I, I would say that it's very, that these do help women, but I haven't seen personally a study that's only women, you know, or that really is breaking out the men versus the women. But I have seen the studies, for example, fingers didn't, but some of the other studies, for example, I've seen an exercise in the dementia break out Alzheimer's versus all dementia. Mm -hmm. And you see improvements in the Alzheimer's group and in the all dementia group, which would strongly suggest it has to include women. Mm -hmm. We're improving. Hmm. Yeah, women. <laughs> we we don't get what we uh, we don't, we don't get the attention, right? That that yeah. uh, I mean, women have different health issues than men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's more more and more interest in that, you know, than there was. There's much more focus on 
gender and gender representation. When I was at NIH a few years ago, there actually was a strong movement to start including well, almost all animal experiments are done with only male animals for a variety of reasons. <laughs> okay. The male animals are cheaper because they're not breeders. You only need like one male mouse and, you know, 20 female mice and that works. Um, they have a lot of excess of males and sell them more cheaply. And it causes less variability, which the scientists like. So almost all the work was done just on male animals for years and years. And there actually was um, a resolution passed with support from the women's group at NIH that the studies in animals had to start showing that women, female mice and rats also had similar responses. You couldn't just totally ignore them. Interesting. Um, the, the two um, beta Carophylline, uh -huh. uh, and the other one that I won't even try to pronounce. Can you uh, tell us oh, about, about the, the Sure. Okay. Phosphatidylserine um, is um, a type of fat, and it's particularly enriched in the brain, and particularly at synapses, the connections where two neurons meet and communicate with each other. So if you don't have enough phosphatidylserine, your neurons may not communicate as well as they could. Um, it tends to, we tend to make less phosphatidylserine as we get older. And there've been a, no, a number of studies um, with looking at people who are elderly. I kind of dislike that word at times, but that was a term in the studies. So 65 or older who subjectively felt they had some memory problems or might've even been diagnosed with MCI, mild cognitive impairment. And they were put in the gold standard, randomized double blind placebo controlled studies. So that means everyone were given pills, some were sugar pills, some were the real thing. The doctors didn't know, the patients didn't know, and they were all treated in parallel. And that's the gold standard test. That's what you have to do for FDA drug approval. And um, there were about half a dozen small studies done. And in every one of them, after a month to as much as three months, um, people who were getting phosphatidylserine had significant improvement in memory, and potentially other areas of cognition, like um, problem solving, language skills, uh, think flexibility of thought. So um, the FDA actually recognized um, phosphatidylserine a bit more than any other agent that's been tested for dementia by giving it a qualifying statement, not an approval, mm -hmm. but a qualified statement saying that there is evidence that it improves memory and potentially helps prevent dementia. So that makes it stand out a little more from many other agents that are currently mm -hmm. And how does one take that in a pill form or? Oh, yeah. Actually, a blue light wants to make their, their um, supplements to be enjoyable. So it's in a small chocolate, dark chocolate. <laughs> so you also get that antioxidant benefit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's, it's only one small chocolate a day. So it's not going to add too many calories. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Yeah, and then beta carophylline is is still um, we're still doing some research on it, but that was um, something I became very interested in. 
all of the different types of dementia, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, post-head injury, all have inflammation in the brain. And it's a cell called microglia that causes the inflammation. And I'm sure you know, you've heard that inflammation is part of aging throughout the body, that the more inflammation there is, the more aging changes you have. The brain and the body are a little bit separated for inflammation because of the blood-brain barrier. So inflammation within the brain is particularly important in dementia. Beta-carophylline is found in many green leafy vegetables, um, many spices. It's very widespread in the, in the plant kingdom. Um, it's purified from things like cloves and hemp and um, pepper. There's many different sources you can use. It is, um, it acts at a receptor on the microglia to turn down inflammation. So if you give it to a mouse that has brain inflammation, it settles back down again. And then the microglia do what they do when they're happy, which is support the growth of the neurons, give them healthy factors, eat up the junk like um, the A-beta, which accumulates in Alzheimer's. They do that better when they're not in the inflamed state. So there have been studies in mouse models of Alzheimer's showing that it's helpful. I'm interested in it because I've worked in both, as you mentioned, autoimmune disease and, and neurologic disease. Mm -hmm. And it just happens that the immunology translates better. Things that work in a mouse are pretty likely to work in a human when you work with immunology. Things that work in a mouse brain don't predict as well what's going to happen when you give it to humans. Mm -hmm. So I think that good fortune, since it's immunology, it may work rather relatively easily once we give it to humans. We've done one small pilot study and working with people who were a bit obese, um, or at least overweight, um, over 60, and had subjective memory problems. And we did see some signals suggesting that there was improvement on the cognitive tests that we did. So we're gonna continue looking at it and hopefully we'll be bringing that out as another new agent to uh, use in the dementia and Alzheimer's armamentarium. Mm -hmm. you, you talked about uh, brain health and, and heart health having great similarities in terms of uh, potential treatment, I suppose, or, or that what prevention. Yeah. yeah prevention. prevention. Right. Yeah. Prevention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, I think that that follows from what I was saying a bit about the Framingham study that, you know, as they did more interventions to help these people get more heart healthy, as they became more heart healthy, they also became more brain healthy. But there is obvious overlap. The um, diets that have been shown to help in trials um, are the same ones that the cardiologists use, you know, the Mediterranean diets, the same Mediterranean diets for heart health. Mm -hmm. Uh, the exercise has been very much the same types of programs. So walking, if you, if you burn 500 calories a, a week walking, this comes out of like pooling many studies. If you burn 500 calories a week walking, it's enough to start decreasing your risk of developing dementia or Alzheimer's in the next few years. That's good. <laughs> I'm a yeah. Bit, yeah. 
Yeah. But, but I think things may be different. So for example, with exercise, this is still a bit theoretical, but I think that something like dancing may be a much better approach for brain health than mm -hmm. just walking mm -hmm. because your brain does many different things besides move your feet. You know, the heart pumps blood and it's a little simpler, but when you're dancing, you have to learn, learn some choreography or some steps. You have to remember them. You have to pay attention to what's around you. A lot of different sensory inputs important, you know, the beat and the music, what the other people on the floor are doing, what your partner's doing. And you have to incorporate that into your movements, which is a lot of, of integration of different sensory parts of the brain into an area for movement planning and then the actual movement execution. So there've been several small studies in, in dance and, um, I think that they've been interesting. For example, there was one in the Philippines. It was a couple of hundred people who already had either MCI or early Alzheimer's. And they um, assigned the intervention group to two hours of dance a week. And the regular group just did whatever, continued their regular life. And then they uh, looked after about 24 weeks, I think it was, and the people who were assigned to dance improved on even very general tests like the, uh, the mini mental status tests, which don't generally improve with existing Alzheimer's uh, um, drugs because they're not very sensitive there. You have to have a big improvement to change it. So I thought that was interesting. There've been several studies that have been published now and it seems any type of dance is good. You know, uh, ballroom dancing, uh, Greek folk dancing, <laughs> um, just getting up and doing your thing, dancing, all of those. Um, and there's some evidence that they're, they're helpful in terms of keeping the brain healthy. That's good to know. <laughs> Catherine? No, I'm just making notes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is very interesting. So, I, I do have a question though. Um, Gail, when she, in her introduction, said that you have three patents. What, what, what are those, what were those in for? Uh, one was, um, I'm, well, you know, I'm, several people are on the patent. I just want to say they are shared in endeavors. Um, one was for a um, Alzheimer's, um, one of the Alzheimer's anti-A-beta antibodies. Hmm. Um, it was purchased by, we were a startup, it was purchased by a large company, which had several of these, and they unfortunately didn't take ours forward, but it was one of those. And... Um, one of the others was, um, well, the other one was in pain. It was an anti-NGF antibody that was used for pain treatment. And the other was um, related to rituximab, which is an anti-B cell antibody, kind of expanding it from cancer, which is where it was originally used, to autoimmune diseases like um, lupus or, or things like that. So what keeps you going? Question. Uh, well, you know, as you do, what keeps me going? Well, I do still hope to, uh, at some level, do something to help dementia. That's been an interest of mine since my very early career. And it was a long, frustrating period with the anti-A-beta antibodies. Um, some have been recently provisionally approved by the FDA, um, Adahelm or Aducanumab is its generic name, but um, that's 
different. So we did the, so I was an investigator on the cholinesterase inhibitors and to get, that's things like denepazil, which are now on the market. Actually, that's generic now even. And those- What's that for? What is that for? That's for Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, um, or it actually helps memory in many settings. And, and as an aside, it, it works by increasing a chemical in the brain called acetylcholine. And there are some ways, so your doctor, you can get prescription, but your doctor probably won't give you a prescription if you just feel you have subjective memory problems. But if you feel you do, an alternative um, are some of the herbals um, like Bacopa or Hooperzine. They actually increase acetylcholine in the brain too. And you can just buy that yourself. <laughs> and they're not terribly expensive. So it's a memory boost you can try yourself. Um, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about Blue Lake? Um, well, we're off to a good start. We have several other um, compound, you know, several other products in preparation. We have um, an omega-3 bar. Omega-3s are also, everyone knows, critical for brain health. They also, DHA is also concentrated at that synaptic area where the neurons communicate. In, in fact, it's attached to the phosphatidylserine backbone, so the two kind of work together in a way. So that'll be one of our next products. And we're looking into, uh, oh, we are doing melatonin because sleep is important. And uh, all those, I said, be in a tasty format rather than uh, just a, a capsule or a powder. Nice. Yes, yeah, that's nice. I, I just <laughs> want to go back and ask you one other question. Uh, the, you mentioned that Parkinson's is in the dementia family. Mm hmm I have never heard that before, and I have several relatives who have Parkinson's, and I maybe I just never put the two together, but I am curious as to, um, you know, as to what that is. Sure. Um, okay, Parkinson's has a, a certain pathology in the brain. It has these little red balls called Lewy bodies which connect in, in nerve cells. And they can be distributed different ways. Some of them are mainly in the basal ganglia, which is the part that controls the, the movements that you see in Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. They can also be in the cortex, which is part of where you're, more of your thinking and memory is involved. Mm -hmm. So there's a spectrum of disease. You can have Parkinson's without dementia, about half of people with Parkinson's do develop a dementia though as the Lewy body spread. And then there are people who mainly have the cortical part and that's called Lewy body dementia. And they'll have some Parkinson's findings but they have more obvious dementia and personality change issues rather than the just purely stiffness. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you for that. Sure. <laughs> So um, do you ever think of your own aging? Oh, yes, <laughs> of course I do. Part of, my, part of my interest in this is also personal. My father had Lewy body dementia. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm very interested in whatever I can do to not go through that. It was mm -hmm. a very sad, painful process watching him uh, uh, deteriorate that way. Yeah, yeah. 
So did, is this, are you saying that you follow your own advice? Uh, yes, I do. I take quite a few supplements <laughs> and I try to, uh, you know, at least meet the minimums on the, the diet and the exercise and, and so on. Yeah. Yes, I actually started originally using supplements. Um, I, I first became interested in supplements after my father became ill because there wasn't anything else to do. There wasn't as much information about diet and exercise then. Mm -hmm. hmm. You have um, a few supplements that you think are essential. I know it's an individual choice, but. Which well, I, I can tell you some of what I take. I don't know if I'd say they're essential for everybody, mm -hmm. but yeah, I take the phosphatidylserine. Um, personally, I find ashwagandha seems to help me quite a bit. It's an Ayurvedic herb um, from India, from Hindu medicine, mm -hmm. and they've used it for many centuries for memory loss, and uh, they call it a nerve tonic, so for just tuning up your, your mental system. It also is quite helpful for depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. so it can be... Uh, a useful supplement that way. Um, I've also for many years used alpha-lipoic acid, which helps support mitochondrial function. Mitochondria also deteriorate in almost all of the dementing illnesses. So I've used that for quite a few years. And omega-3s. Like every, I think everyone takes omega-3s. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what I remember. Yes. And 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 now phosphatidylserine. I you know take that. Yeah. Of course. You have a, a safety chocolate every day. Oh yes, it's a nice little bit deserted breakfast <laughs> that I don't have to feel guilty about. <laughs> well, that you've made this very understandable. Uh, I appreciate you. your time in in talking with us, Patricia. This this was most most interesting. Very, very Thank you. Helpful. I hope it's interesting for your audience and maybe helpful for some people because that's that's my goal at this part of my life is to try to educate and be helpful to people maintaining their brain health. Thank you.